Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. And so what we thought for today, the last message in this series might be really cool, is for us to let you in a little bit of the dialogue, the interaction. And so we're, um, we know you're there, and we're, we'll talk to you some, but we're going to also really interact with each other and kind of let you see in what was happening in our group. Because we had some great, really, really cool discussions and applications, and sometimes it was pretty robust um, uh, debate back and forth. Jen got out of hand several times. In our, in our times. Five times. Five times. <laughs> so you owe us Nomad Donuts five times then, too. So in case you don't know these guys, uh, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So I don't know whoever wants to go first. Yeah, yeah so my name is Zach. Um, I help out with the youth, and I, I work as a restaurant manager. What kind of restaurant is it, by the way? Uh, sushi restaurant. Yeah. yeah. So Zach's the hookup guy here, let me tell you. You're interested, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I, you know, most of you know me. I work as a pastor uh, for Heart Faith, and I, that's my job in the morning. At the night, I dance. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you I laughing? He's serious. Is that over there on Balboa? It is legit. <laughs> that's good. We did have a couple minutes for him to... <laughs> no, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, we do. Can you get no. some cue up some music, Matt? Or <laughs> no, I don't dance. I, I don't even know how to dance. I okay. can't believe you said that, Jen. So I, I do have a, a part-time job. I, I, I work as a chaplain for hospice. So that's, that's what I do, yeah. except from pastoring. I'm Fred. I work uh, in law enforcement here in the city, and I work with your middle school and high school students. Yeah. I noticed you also kept a little space between you and Jan on the couch here today. And I hope you don't have your gun here. (laughs) (laughs) Fred's not sure about dancers. (laughs) I'm John Dickinson. Uh, I'm uh, an elder here at the church. And uh, I'm, uh, uh, during the day, I'm a quality manager for a large manufacturing firm that we have facilities here in San Diego, Tijuana, and around the country. So Mm, do that during the day. Great. Well, thanks, guys. And thanks to the other folks who were in our, our, our group as well. It's a great group of, of folks. So, you know, um, we really wanted to grow in knowing God and seeing and experiencing Him. But we also really, our real goal was how do we savor and enjoy God more? And, and we did some of that during our, our Saturday mornings together. Um, and again, even this morning as we, the five of us got together. And, and, but maybe share with us... Um, What's the way through this series and through our studies together that you've just really kind of grown a, a real practical way in savoring God? How about one of you guys? Uh, yeah, so, so for myself, um, I didn't realize it was 14 weeks. That went fast, but uh, uh, just going every Saturday and then hearing the message on Sunday. So 14 weeks of just looking at God's attributes, who he is. Uh, it was a really cool season to really just see how big God is. And yet, in every message and every conclusion, how near God is, mm-hmm. uh, just in our daily life, that we can see that God is uh, unlike us, and yet, you know, He's He's so near to us. Mm-hmm. That's cool. In a similar sense, um, you know, when you get to know somebody, character, who they are, what they do, what they're all about, 
um, and you're meeting them for the first time, first couple times, you kind of figure out whether or not you're going to be friends with this person, you're going to have something uh, in common, whether a relationship's going to grow. And so getting to know the characteristics of God for, for me was a little bit of a two-way street there because in some ways I, I'm not like him at all. And I, and I found that out more through this series, how unlike me and how perfect and how much more of everything I'm supposed to be he is. But at the same time, in all of those attributes, every week, seeing how God chooses to come near. Yeah. And though I may not be what I would have chosen for him as a friend, like Carlo taught, he wants to and he pursues relationship with me. That's been pretty big. Not just that head knowledge, but he wants a relationship with me. Yeah, and he, and he, doesn't, and he doesn't have to. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I mean, in his perfection, in, in his goodness, he has no need for me. Right. Uh, and uh, and yet and, and the reason for that, what I savor about God is um, is that he's community, you know, that he's relational, that uh, before any of this, he was perfect and and enjoyed a community of father, son and Holy Spirit and uh, and was able to, to laugh and and grieve and and all of all of the emotions that we have because we're made in God's image and so I when I wonder about well why am I a relational kind of person well because our God is a relational person and he's not some singular person that was just man what am I gonna do I'm here by myself I think I'll create some people uh, we'll call them people and and but he didn't have a need for that but he did and, and then created the creation, the universe that we are able to live in and, and that we enjoy. And then in my brokenness, mm. when I rebel from God, he provides a, a remedy. Mm. You know, a rescuer, a Jesus. A rescuer yeah. in, in his son, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that then, you know, chooses, chooses me, chooses us. You know, what a, what a great God we have. Yeah. Sounds like magnanimous. <laughs> in his uh, attributes of uh, all of these things that we have studied of being he's being faithful he's being good and loving and and just awesome it just created a desire in me a deeper desire to know him more and so one of the practical things that happened to me through the series is just having a uh, a renewed excitement of uh, studying God's word and not just to study uh, studying to preach but really just allowing God to speak to me every morning it's just Something that I look forward every every morning now, just to let God speak to me and know Him more. You know, as we studied all of these attributes, you know, His immutability and His independence and all of this. I think, as I, as like Fred, as I saw how big, he, reminded how big He was again, and then, but that He's present. You know, it's John. It's kind of close to what you say that He's present, and He's always present and. Just in the last couple of weeks, even as I've thought about that, he's always near. He's always near. That's sometimes corrected some thoughts or behaviors, mm. but it's also compelled some good behaviors and good thoughts that he's near to me. And, um, and, and it just reminded me how much he loves me and comforts me. So it's been good for me, this series, and, and, we, and we hope for it's been, it's been good for you as well. And we're not done knowing and seeing and savoring God. Our series is done, but, but we're not done. Um, one of the reasons we wanted also to kind of do this, this roundtable kind of discussion with you listening in is some of you have had questions during the series, 
and, and we've had questions during this series. And, you know, knowing that God is, is good and that he's able and he's perfect, that he's, that he's always good and he's always sufficient and he's always holy, knowing that is really cool, but sometimes life spins, it feels like out of control. And sometimes difficult stuff happens. And it seems, God sometimes is confusing to me. Zach, is he, do you ever feel that sometimes? That you, you know who he is, but he, he feels confusing sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, just because we go through hard times, it, it, it's something that we've, I think, discussed in almost every message is that, you know, it's an element that, that we as people always face is just hard times. And so we wonder, where is God in this situation? And so uh, just yeah. just having God, um, <clears throat> knowing who God is, uh, that, that, that he's beyond us, that he, that he understands yeah. the situation from a different perspective yeah. can be hard for us to agree with at times. Yeah. But, but yeah. going through this has helped us get there. Yeah. You know, we, um, as you, many of you know, April and I have a disabled grandson. And this has just been another one of those times where I know we know all of these truths about God. But when tragedy strikes, you know, whether it's a tsunami or whether it's, it's um, a drunk driver or whether it's a disability or whether um, it's, it's the death of someone that's near to us and we love, whether it's cancer, you know, it's this question, I, well, if this, if this is true about God, then why this? Or if that's true about God, then why this? And so, guys, I want to kind of throw that out for some discussion to start off. This is the hard question, right? This is really... Evil, um, yeah. so trauma, ISIS. So if God is um, omnipotent, He is all powerful. Why is He? Why are there sufferings in? Yeah. You know, why? Well, and and if He's loving, yeah. right, right? Then why does He allow it? Yeah. So if He's able to stop and prevent, yeah. and He's loving, how do you work through that, right? You know, it, it, it is the problem of evil, the theological problem of evil. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Well, go ahead, guys. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking so. forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Somebody I'm want to volunteer? For Come on, on, give them the microphones. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, I think, um, you know, questions like that are often raised, you know, the why questions. And, and there are, say, systematic answers, or there's, uh, you know, propositions that we can, that we can assert. Um, but I'm reminded of a quote by Ravi Zacharias. He says, having the answers is not essential to living. What is essential is a sense of God's presence during dark seasons of questioning. Um, you know, so, so we may not always get the why. Uh, and, and I hope that a series like this where we know, see, and savor God, that we would, uh, during those dark seasons, you know, trust God. Uh, and maybe that's all we have, but that's enough. And the answers, they don't need to be answered right away. Mm. That's really powerful, Zach. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. It's 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 not about um, understanding, but we do have in us an innate desire to know more and to have a, a handle, and so we tend to ask questions of why. And uh, as uh, most of our friends here know, that I've gone through a difficult situation as my wife struggled through cancer and the hospice time. I, I have to ask why, I, the why questions. But as I also reflected on God, and I mentioned to you earlier that I, God's word has become more alive to me. I've, I'm going through the book of Exodus right now. In most, Exodus chapter 5, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? 
Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. But we all who have read the Bible have the benefit of hindsight because we know the story of Moses being sent. But at that very time, he was in darkness, and he didn't know. God, why? Why are you bringing trouble on these people? I might as well not just go back to my shepherding and not do something that would steer the hearts and make people suffer. In the same way, I ask the same question. Lord, why, why, are we, why would you not heal cancer? Why would you not restore my wife's health back? Why does she need to go through this? One of the things that my son... My, I, do, I have two boys, a 20-year-old and a 14-year-old. And I've asked my younger son, John, to attend a, a conference, a crew conference. And I told him, John, why wouldn't you go? This is great. This is a great opportunity. And he had a lot of reasons here and there and just pulling. But he really was insisting that he would not go. And finally, as I just gently asked him, he started to say, how can I trust God? When I have prayed three times a day, but he did not answer to heal my mom. And, and that just, I broke down and wept with him. And I said, John, thank you for expressing that. And we do have a lot of why questions. And it reminded me that the Lord Jesus himself asked the question, why? At the cross, why? Why have you forsaken me? You know, it, you mentioned, Jen, trust. You know, um, we are able to trust God. God is trustworthy. But it's beyond that. It's more than we can trust God. We've talked about that, right? That we must trust God. You know, it, it's, it, it, that it, we're, re, we're required to, be, to trust in, in God, to be able to trust to search for some of the answers in these because as, as God is so much greater and grander than us and he knows so much more, as we're stuck in pain, it's almost like we're, like we're looking through a knothole in a fence, you know, the fence of our pain. And all we can see is just this little bit, but there's so much more that's going on in, in God's story, right? And, and, and I just can't see that. So I don't... I don't know how everything is working out. And therefore, I must trust as I come to God's word and I see that he is good and I see the, the narratives in God's word about his goodness. And I understand as we take another angle at looking at God and I understand that he's just. And he's just because, wait, another angle of his holiness. Mm. And, and I understand that from his justice to, to, to demand perfection and holiness and good that justice must you know must reign and therefore wrath can be a part of who God is we'll talk about good and angry in the, in our times to come and how it can be angry and good because God has shown that he is angry but God is also another vantage point that we look at is God is merciful and it once again as we believe the gospel God has provided the way through, you know, even in our difficult times. And, and we will 
I, I, we'll not always see the answers. We'll be blessed if sometimes we do get to understand. But at some point in time, we will be able to see before God what that big picture is. You know, Fred, you know, you said something about... Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can't say that, though. You know what I mean? Like, and, and this is what we talk about. And this is the hard part about answering some of these questions in a sterile environment. We have to answer them in a sterile environment so that when we're in a dirty environment, in the mess of it all, we have an answer. Yeah, yeah. But when you're in that mess... That, that's no I, time to start trying to figure, sort this yeah, stuff out. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you you can't, and and you know you've done some volunteer work uh, in, with some crisis intervention, and whether it's military, law enforcement, uh, first responders, you see some things where if you give me a Bible verse as a guy on staff at a church, I'll probably get angry <laughs> because I, I I know that, but that's not. It's not cutting it. And I don't know if that's a little honest there. Yeah. It's not cutting it. But we need to, to wrestle with that because I think the difficult part that comes with a question like the problem of evil is that it, it makes us look at God from a very honest perspective. About a year ago when, um, when the San Diego PD officer was uh, killed, uh, and I was, I was at the scene, and, and there's a helicopter, a news helicopter flying by. God is not watching CNN, <laughs> wondering what's going to happen next. He doesn't get his news source from, he doesn't get his information from. He, he watches Fox, Fox right? <laughs> <laughs> he, he went there. Uh, this could be the last panel discussion. Okay, moving on. And, but if, but if God's not, if God's not getting his information right when it's happening, then I have to face the fact that the all powerful, all sovereign, all good, all controlling God of the universe knew that family man was going to be killed that night. He allowed him to not get a flat tire. He allowed him to get to work at that specific time. He allowed that gangster to be at that particular corner of the street at that particular moment and God didn't just use that. He was there. I, I need to wrestle with that. And um, it's, a not, it's a not a perfect analogy, but if I could try to answer that just a little bit. God is described in the, in the scriptures as the author of life, that our days are written and that he knows our days before they were ever even written down. And so if we take that idea, that picture that God has chosen to reveal himself with, that he's an author. And I can bring that to you from a human perspective. Um, I know Harry Potter is controversial, but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, Jin's a dancer. I like Harry Potter. We're, we're all sinners in need of grace. Harry Potter is more sinner than I. <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings. Or uh, Suzanne Collins in The Hunger Games. In Harry Potter, Harry's parents die within the first pages of the book as he's a baby. And this story develops where the bad guy, Voldemort, is acting in such horrendous ways. If you know the Hunger Games, children are selected, taken to a tournament for sport to be killed. In the Lord of the Rings, little hobbit buddies get blown up and torn apart by orcs. 
we would never charge J.K. Rowling with the murder of Harry Potter's parents. We would never charge J.R.R. Tolkien with genocide. We would never say that Suzanne Collins was responsible for the murder of those children. But if you say, well, Voldemort did it. Well, who created Voldemort? Who created the Capitol? Who created the orcs? The authors did. The authors created this world, this universe, this entire place where they're in charge of every detail. C.S. Lewis created winter but never Christmas. J.R.R. Tolkien created Middle Earth. J.K. Uh, uh, Rowling created Voldemort and the history that goes behind it. And taking Harry Potter, for example, if you stop in book three and you don't get to the last books, you don't realize that the good guy had actually been grooming Harry Potter to die. Sorry, spoiler alert. And <laughs> that the bad guy... One of the bad guys actually had loved him all along because his eyes looked like his mother's. And your brain kind of goes... Because you realize, oh my gosh, J.K. Rowling had a story. And she had something to tell us that if you stop in book three, that if you stop at the third plague in the story of the Exodus, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there if you stop at book three. You have to get there. But when you're in the middle of page 200 out of 700, it looks like Voldemort's going to win. It looks like Sauron's going to take over. It looks like there will never be Christmas. That's kind of the looking through the knot hole, isn't it, that we we often are at? Yeah, we're only reading that page. And and yet, uh, those authors never, I never read about the authors in the book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, what's different? Well, J.K. Rowling never had her parents killed. C.S. Lewis didn't enter into winter, never Christmas. But the story of the gospel is that God's not just the narrator. God comes into human history. That God, the word, becomes flesh. And he knows the mess, and yet he wants to be in it. So even if I don't have all the answers, I know he gets it. Because as he's writing, they will slap me, he gets slapped. As he writes, they will betray me, he sees his disciples run away. He's not writing as somebody that's, you know, puppeteering the world from afar. He's somebody that's actually hurting because of the very own story and the purposes that he wants to accomplish. You know, you know, oh, go ahead. You go ahead, Jack. Uh, well, just, just thinking about that, some of the thoughts that I think may come into your minds, you know, you know, if we could, if we illustrate with God as the author, you know, well, did he author evil? Uh, we might be playing with words. I don't think God authored evil, but he did decree it. And, and he decreed it uh, for a purpose. And it might be hard to answer that question. Well, why? That, that's a huge question. Um, I, I think there could be some uh, answers in that, well, God wanted a relationship with us, right? Out of, out of grace, he created us, even though he didn't need us. And yet then he decrees evil. Um, but But with that, you know, comes then the plan of redemption where he'll enter in and, and he'll suffer with us. And with that, then we, in, in this uh, relationship that we have with God, we know him more because now uh, when beforehand, we wouldn't know his, his uh, justice. We wouldn't know his mercy. We wouldn't know his grace. And so for all eternity, uh, we'll have that deeper relationship. That could be one reason why God allows evil. Uh, one, one other thing that stands out to me that when you're mentioning the story, 
you know, in Genesis 50, 20, um, Joseph has to go through all those hard times, right? And, and wrongly so. He, he didn't do any of the things, yet he was convicted. Uh, but in the end, if, if you know the story, he gets to be second to Pharaoh. And he says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And, and so it's fascinating to know that, you know, that God doesn't work despite evil, but, but that God has decreed it and that he actually works through evil. If I could share one more verse. In Acts 2.23, uh, Peter, addressing uh, you know, this, this hostile crowd, says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan uh, and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You know, so, so God decreed that Jesus would come and by the help of wicked men be put to death. So he works through evil. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that stuff where it's like, well, that's hard to, to stomach when you're talking about, you know, actual hard times where, you know, if a child dies, you know, it's not easy to stomach. But there is a sense in which God is working through it, um, but we can trust him. Yeah, Gary, you were sharing um, uh, at one of our sessions, uh, Genesis 2, uh, in, in that regard, too. Yeah, right? yeah. you know, in, in uh, Genesis 2, when God speaks to, uh, to Adam and he says, Hey, Adam, see this garden I put around you? It's paradise, and it is all yours. You enjoy everything. You enjoy the swimming ponds, the food, the beauty, the music. It, it, there's just one thing I don't want you to touch. And he says, that, and, and if you decide to touch that, touch, decide to eat that, you will surely die. And I don't think that's probably all that God said to Adam. I don't know what else he said, but I don't think that's all he said to him. And I wonder if when he said that to him, he says, when you choose to try to turn the universe upside down and you try to pretend that you're God, then everything is going to get out of whack and not only will you die, but Adam, there's going to be cancer. And Adam, there's going to be disabled kids be born. And there's going to be drunk drivers. And John and I sat with the family of a six-year-old boy. Yeah, it was a six-year-old. Six-year-old yeah. boy who had been kicked by a horse in IV and killed just like that. We were sitting with his family. And that's in that, like, almost like a Pandora's box, that the sin of the world, not, not necessarily my own individual sin, that little six-year-old boy did not die because he had stolen candy from uh, 7-Eleven. But he died, I think, as a result of the fallenness of the brokenness of the world that was initiated by Adam and then voted on affirmative every day by me. Because I'm a sinner, and, I'm, and I make, keep voting that same way, that I want to be God. And I think what God was saying there, I think what he was indicating was, not only will you die, but all of this other unintended, undesired results of sin will come in. But I have a rescuer coming, and his name is Jesus, and he's going to bruise, you know, he's gonna, the devil's going to bruise your heel, but you're going to crush his head, and you're gonna, he's going to rescue you and redeem you and remake you. And we're still in that fallen world, but Jesus is coming back, right? He's, gonna make, he's already won the victory, and he's going to bring it back. Yeah, Romans 6 tells us that all creation groans, oh, yeah. just waits. Yeah. You know? So even creation like us just waits for the, yeah. that time that Jesus returns, yeah. And, yeah. and things are made right yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, th I think the way this kind of discussion started off, I think Fred said something that's really interesting. This is a sterile environment. You know, most of us, now some of you are really suffering today, and some of you really have some doubts, and some of you are going, I just don't like this at all. This is hard. It's hard. These are hard. We don't have these things figured out. But what we need to do is get our roots down deep in who God is in the good days. We can't wait until the storm comes. And as your pastor, I have just seen so often people who trauma and pain hits them, and it hits. And because they haven't put their, their, their anchor down in who God is, they are blown over so easily. You can't wait until then to begin to work out. It has to start now when, when we're doing moderately okay and we develop this, our deep roots in the Lord Jesus. You know, I, I think, too, that, you know, from, we need to be pastoral, yeah. you know, as we consider these things. Again, this sterile environment that we have, that we're exploring who God is. Um, but that time that we were talking to that family at the ER here in, at Scripps, where their son had just been killed is not the time for me to, to say, well, you know, I just want to talk to you about the sovereignty of God and how God is, you know, in the middle of all this. And, you know, it didn't happen because, see, that, 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 that's, not, that's not the time for that kind of, for that kind of discussion. No. I've got to love people at yeah. that point. And, and, and I would just I, I take just a second to encourage you that when you're around people that have suffered a lot, their mom have have their houses burned down um you know it uh, you know fred i was with some of your your friends there uh, one day when um when we walked in and, and a baby had had died of sids and uh, two of the police officers were given uh cpr yeah. you know w w what's up with that god yeah. you know th this is a, a six month old how, why? Why does that happen? And again, that, that's not where we start talking about these, but it's it's needed that we know this ahead so that we can we can bend and not break, you know, during those times. And and I would just encourage you that when you're around people like that, do not tell them things like, um, you know, God just needs another angel in heaven. Um, it, don't, don't say that, well, God knows best. In that immediate time, just, just be there. Listen. Put your arm around and care for people. You know, because that just introduces other questions. Really, God need, needed a, an angel more than, than I do. I thought God didn't need anything. John, you just said a few minutes ago that God has no need of anything, and yet he needs, needed my little girl. See, so we, we, we all, I encourage all of us to, you know, we've got to be compassionate and, and we've got to find those right times to help lead people and guide people through the hard times uh, of life, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, John, because my experience as I grieve over my wife's passing, uh, many people would offer words of comfort. Many people would say, Jin, I think God is preparing you for something. And I almost want to say, no, I don't want to be prepared for anything. I just, I just want her. But um, the most powerful experiences I've had of comfort is when people were just there for me. And I think it's just a, uh, an expression of God's presence. And without words, hugs, I, I've shared 
at this church. I, it's just so powerful. It's just an expression of love that we're here. We're here. And I know that I'm not alone. Yeah. We, weep, we weep with those who weep. And Isaiah says that even in our distress, he too is distressed. This is that compassion of God. Even yeah. though it is absolutely true that he's absolutely yeah. sovereign, yeah. you know, and yet he weeps with. This is the amazement of who God is. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, these are hard things, aren't they? But this is where we live. And this is the God we have who not only can we trust, but we must trust him. What else are you going to do? You know, when we're undone, it's, it's him. And he's proven himself on the cross. On the cross. Well, we could, we could go another couple hours just on this topic, right? And we have gone a couple of hours at a time. Let me, let me shift a little bit. You ask some questions, and we want to get to a, a couple of them. One of the questions that you ask, you say that God is just, and, and we believe that. But why in the world then do um, wicked people prosper? You know, doesn't God notice how good I am and how I've tried to serve him and how I've tried to obey him? And, and then I see people who have, want to have nothing to do with God whatsoever. And, man, they're just way ahead. What, what's up with this God? I, I um, uh, glad you asked that. <laughs> because that's a question, you know, that, that, I've, that I've asked before. Is like, yeah, you know, what, what's the story with this? I mean, there's people that, that, that I, in my mind, and Fred, you, you know, you can talk on this in just a minute. But in my mind they're not very good people, you know, and, um, and, and Psalm 73, uh, check that out later on, pull that up now. Um, but Asaph writes this Psalm and in Psalm 73, he writes, no doubt about it. God is good, good to good people, good to the good hearted, but I nearly missed it, missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up, um, to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have it made, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the world. He goes on to say, they've got these riches. I mean, they've got life made. The wind is on their back all the time. And I'm struggling, you know, and I'm wondering where God is at times. And, and this sucks, you know, and, and what's going on here? But Asaph goes on. He continues. You can read that later yourself. But if you get down to like verse 17 or or 18 there, he says, but then I realized it was, you know, I, I, it says here, still when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache until I, until, right there, until I entered the sanctuary of God. And Asaph goes on to say, when I put my eyes right and I looked at, at God and I saw how blessed I am, and how he has treated me in so many good ways, I realized that I was looking the wrong way at the wrong things. And I almost slipped, you know, in my, in my thoughts and in what I was doing because I was examining the, the, wrong, the wrong way. And I was thinking I'm good, and, and those, those other folks are, are not. Well, right, right, Fred? Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's the good thing about studying who God is and then who we are. Because there's... If we're an old Western, there's only one guy wearing the white hat, right? And his name is Jesus. And everybody else is on the other team. 
And, um, you know, everybody, you know, Jesus wears the Raiders jersey. Everybody else wears the Charger jersey. Oh, oh wait you know, a minute. This is kind of thing that's going on. You know, it's, you uh, re- cut this mic over here. So you me. realize you're on the wrong team. <laughs> <laughs> I went to go where you can. Um, yeah, I mean, the question really is why do, why do good things happen to people that don't deserve them? And why do bad things happen to people that deserve better? But it, it also another, I mean, you live in a broken world. And if you, if you go through a, through a room that's, you know, full of nails, you're going to get poked. At some point, when we live in a world of sin, we're, sin's going to come against us. We're going to get slapped upside the head by something just because of the world that we live in, that Pandora's box that was opened. And it's only by the grace of God that he interjects any kind of grace yeah. To anybody else, yeah. right? You know, you get into the question of like, you know, good people going to hell or bad people, you know, all that. Listen, the fact that anybody makes it out of this on, on Jesus' side is a miracle. That anybody gets through a day with Jesus on their side, we're going to call that a miracle. It's not just any other Tuesday, you know? Like that is a very special thing when God shows up to anybody. Total, totally undeserved. Yeah. Totally unmerited. Right. Yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, you, you know, we call that common grace, right? You know, there's, the, there's God's grace that he, you know, Scripture's clear. He bestows on everyone. Yeah. It, you know, the rain falls on everyone. The sunshine falls on everyone. That's God's common grace. The fact that I can take another breath and anyone else mm-hmm. in the world can take another breath is God's common grace, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, good things will happen to bad people. Yeah. Uh, the fact is that... Scripture's clear about that too, right? Romans 3 is, is that all people are bad people, but his righteousness penetrates for us, right? Absolutely. Just pointing back to Psalm 73, I think, um, you know, like theology-wise, yeah, no good people, but you you can kind of get the heart of the question. You know, why am I going through this hard time and not someone else? Or, you know, do I really deserve it? He says uh, in verse 14, all day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. You know, so, and sometimes we can feel this way. We can have bad days. We can wonder, you know, why, why is it so horrible? Um, but in verse 25, this is after he's gone, and, he, and he's gone into the sanctuary, and he's realized that the, uh, you know, that his foot almost slipped, but then he, he, he goes into the presence of God. And hopefully this can be something that comforts us. He says, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire, I desire besides you. You know, so in the midst of all the hard times, we, we, do, we do have that uh, relationship and we have God's presence with us during all of it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in verse 23, before that also, as you have pointed out that all day has been afflicted in verse 14, but in verse 23, it's a beautiful contrast here. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you would take me into glory. I think it's, it's a beautiful picture there of God's comfort and God's presence. Another question that came up in the series was um, uh, someone, a couple people actually asked this question. Um, You know, I hope when I bring my neighbor to church that, Gary, you're preaching on the New Testament and not the Old Testament because I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He seems kind of mean and kind of ornery and kind of barbaric, someone actually said. But I, I sure like God in the New Testament. So, Gary, just preach the New Testament so I can bring my neighbors. How, how, how would we respond to that? We did. I mean, I don't know. Like the, the barbaric God that gave Adam and Eve grace, that gave 
Noah grace, the God that no. gave Abraham grace, the God that gave David grace, the God that gave Samson grace, the God that gave Ruth a new chance, the God that gave, uh, you know. He's I, so barbaric. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you mean the God that, like, in the New Testament killed the two people because they didn't bring everything that they sold to, to the offering? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, God doesn't change. You just don't like certain stories. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, and the Old Testament, I mean, is, is full of narratives, right? You know, a lot of narrative of the Old Testament, of, of storytelling of who God is and, and, uh, uh, and who his people are. And, and it's great. You know, as we've gone through, um, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a, 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 a blank, uh, no, um, the perspectives. So we've gone through perspectives. It, you know, it's helped showed us that that the Bible is com- you know is complete from start to beginning. And there's several threads that thread through both the Old and New Testament. It's one book. It's it's one book. You know. So I, I think behind the question, um, you know, when they when they make a divide, because there could be some New Testament verses we should avoid then as well. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but 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 yeah. but don't preach on these verses either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think behind the question is, you know, the, the, maybe the, the harshness of God or, or the severity of God. Why, why would he judge? You know, and, and that really gets to the question. Um, it could be hard to stomach. I know for myself, you know, I relate with sinners. Uh, you know, I, I still struggle with sin. So, so God is holy. I, I've, I've, you know, there's no one like him. And, and so in his holiness, he, he can't tolerate sin. And, and just pointing back to the message you gave about if someone was allergic to peanuts in the plane, there can't be any peanuts because even just the smell of peanuts, they would, they would just uh, have an allergic reaction. And so it's the same with God. You know, he can't, he, just the smell of sin, he'll have an allergic reaction. He's holy. Uh, but that's not the case for me. I watch TV and I'm not having an allergic reaction. Uh, so, so we sympathize with sinners. We, 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 uh, we read in the Bible that God judges sin. And, and it could be hard for us to stomach, but we have to recognize that God is holy as part of his nature. You know, and, and the alternative, uh, which... I'm just going to quote you again, is, is, is uh, the alternative. If God doesn't judge sin, then it's because he can't judge sin. Or, or maybe uh, he, he, he does want to judge sin, but he's just not able to. Or, or even worse, he delights in sin, right? And, and none of those are true. So, so we know that God judges sin. It could be hard for us to stomach, but we know that God is good and that God is holy. And yet, once again, he provides the remedy. You know, he sends, sends his son to live that perfect life. You know, so that those, all of that sin that justice demands, uh, you know, action for is then cast upon him, you know, because he can pay that price while we can't. And if I can't, um, you know, and, and that's something we struggle with, not just reading the Bible. Why do we see uh, sin or why do we see, you know, bad things, harsh things happen outside the world? And one of the things that I think that, uh, that we see in the world that, that is needed is, is mercy. You know, when do we forgive after enough wrongs or justice? Why do bad things happen? And, and then just love. You know, everyone pulls for love. And at the cross, really, we see all those things combined. Mercy, justice, love. And God shows all of those attributes there at the cross. Well, isn't it, isn't it good that um, we realize we're not good enough, but that Jesus is? And, you know, he's the rescuer. And, you know, Jen, you, you, you're with a lot of, in your hospice work, you're with a lot of dying people. Um, what, what, what's your experience? And most of them, like, just, Jesus, save me, rescue me. No. Uh, <clears throat> I, it's, uh, it's interesting that people would think 
you know, at the end of life, people might be more spiritually keen and be more sensitive. But I've seen time and again, over and over again, people would, would reject. They would not even accept spiritual support. They are struggling. They are restless. They are angry. And they're choosing to do that and would not even open up because perhaps there's so much deep pain and they think that it's, no, they would want to remain that way. It's a choice that they make. You know, and, you know, through all of this, this study that we've done on on God and our desire to become, you know, to transform into fully devoted followers of Jesus um, it's it's this as we as we explore this and as we study this and as we let it penetrate or marinate in our lives, it results in a a, a, a life that um, I, I'll say is uh, true. I guess mm. uh, a life that uh, is lived um, by the the truth of God. Yesterday. Um, I went to visit with uh, Agnes Fennell. Some of you know uh, Agnes. And she's in the care center at Federica Manor. Um, and she's, she's coming to her end. Uh, and, and so I, I walked in the room, and I, I sat down in the chair next to her bed, and she mostly sleeps. And so I just kind of touched her, Agnes, are you there? And uh, she opened her eyes and looked at me, she smiled and she said, John, I'm going to see the Lord. I said, I know. And I'm jealous. <laughs> you know? And um, here's a, a woman that has lived a, a life seeking after God. A woman after God's own heart. Mm. I, I, I'll let God say that, and I, but I'm sure he will. She said, I hope he finds me faithful. Mm. I thought, oh, I got no chance then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, I, I tried to assure her that, hey, I'm sure he'll say, thank you, good and faithful servant. Mm. But she has been such a model you know, for me, being in some of the growth groups, you know, that, that I've had the privilege of, of leading and um, uh, to just listen to her and how she has gone through difficult times. You know, when her husband Maurice passed away, uh, when other, other things in her life that have gone on, how she swayed but never broke mm. because her roots yeah. were grown deep over many years of reading God's word, trusting God mm. when she could only see through the, the hole in the fence and not know the big picture, but continue to trust that God is good and God is faithful. And um, she will go to see Jesus. Mm. And she's looking forward to it, as am I. Well, not today, I hope. But so here's here's a picture of a person who knows and sees and has savored God, and it didn't just start when she got sick. It didn't just start when she checked into Frederica Manor. It started years and years and years ago, and through 
Agnes has gone through some very tough stuff in her life, but she knows who her God is. You know, Gary, one other thing that I, I, I think this just, you know, I, I don't want people to go away from here this morning. Um, you, you know, uh, you had shared that, uh, that people, you know, will, will, will reject God, and, and um, even at a time when it's coming to their end. Um, and, you know, sometimes people will ask, well, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. I'm not sure that I've checked all the right boxes. I'm not sure that, that God will accept me because I, they understand that they're a needy a person. If you have that question here this morning, if, if you're a person that says, well, I can associate with a person like that, I'm not sure that I'm good enough. I'm not sure that I've done the right things. And if, if it were my time to be called before the Lord today, I'm afraid of what I might face. Please come speak to us because none of us up here have checked all the boxes. None of us are good enough. We'll lead off in the sin of our lives and knowing, but we trust that Jesus has done that all. He is the one. He's good it's enough. not what I've done or haven't done, but what he has done on our behalf. Please come speak to us if you're questioning that here today. I want to wrap with a, a verse uh, from the book of Hebrews. That it, it's quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. So it's, again, through the whole Bible. And just such a great promise about who this God is that we know and love. And he says... God says, uh, Hebrews 13, verse 5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. This is our God. I'm going to share um, uh, the last stanza of a poem from one of my favorite poets. Uh, his name is Thomas Merton. He's a, he was a Jesuit priest, and he had an amazing walk with God. And here's, here's what um, he prayed and wrote. He says, therefore, I will trust you all ways. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are forever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. This is our God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for revealing yourself to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And thank you that you are good and magnanimous and just and severe and independent and immutable and friendly and magnanimous and faithful and loving and on and on and on. And thank you, God, that wherever we are, you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, and you will never leave us to face our perils alone.